Overdue is brought to you in part this week by Tell Me a Story Season 2 from CBS All Access, created by Kevin Williamson. Tell Me a Story takes the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagines them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller. Exploring an entirely new set of characters, this season features three legendary stories, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella, like you've never seen them before. Carrie Ann Moss is the matriarch of the Pruitt family, and all the stories are wrapped around her family's lives. Tell Me a Story stars Paul Wesley, who's best known for his role in The Vampire Diaries, as well as Danielle Campbell, Carrie Ann Moss, and a stellar ensemble cast. Uh, so sign up today for CBS All Access by visiting cbs.com overdue. Get your first week of CBS All Access for free and stream the new season of Tell Me a Story on Thursdays. That's cbs.com overdue to get your first week of CBS All Access for free. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And how many times has a baby thrown up on you today? None yet. None times? Man, I was once like you. <laughs> uh, each week we talk about a book that we haven't read before, and I'm going to be talking about The Cricket in Times Square, which I think I read as a kid, but Andrew... Any tips about getting puked on by babies you want to talk about? Try, try not to do it. Okay. Um, get a good pediatrician who will be very reassuring to you on the phone when you call them now, at like 8 p.m. when you call the pediatrician, and, okay. now this is appropriate because this is a kid's book that we're going to talk about. When you call the pediatrician, do you say, uh-huh. I am covered in baby's puke, help me? Do you say, like, or are you up front that your your main concern is, is, is your main concern you in your puke state, your puke covered state, or are you really like, or were you being a good parent and you were worried I mean, of, about? of course, of course you're worried about the baby. Now you can, I think the quality of, of your call with your pediatrician is going to be as good as what you put into it. Sure, so if you, like college. If you, call, if you call and say, help, I'm covered in baby puke, they will take the important information, which is that a baby is puking. Sure. And I think they will work backwards to help you figure out what is wrong and what to do next. But they're not going to tell um, you about laundry tips or things like no, that. No, no, no. Ideally, you would, I mean, the laundry tip is like, wipe it off. <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. Ideally you would have more information to tell them like whether they were running a fever or just, these are cool baby tips from me to you. Sure. I appreciate that. Well, we will, we've only, we've only in the first four months of his life, we've only done the panicked after hours call to the pediatrician two times, which I think is pretty good for new parents. And we, I think we've only done first time parents, uh, Henry puke stories two times on the podcast. So I think it's a pretty good record. I think. Um, so this week, as I said earlier, I'm going to talk about The Cricket in Times Square by George Selden with illustrations by the inimitable Garth Williams. Um, Andrew, is this a book that you are familiar with at all? The book I'm not familiar with, but I did. We, we had a um, like a Rankin-Bass Christmas movie VHS box set as kids. And one of the movies in that was not the adaptation of this book but a sequel called a uh, very merry cricket that was about <laughs> christmas 
I think Selden worked on all those animated specials. That wouldn't surprise me. But I'm like tangentially familiar with these characters, and I'm curious to to hear what the exact arc of the story is in here because in a very merry cricket, like he's it's it's from like the sixties or something, yeah. I think. So it's really like Pete complaining about the commercialization of Christmas uh-huh. before we all just like became swallowed by it. Um and at the end of the movie there, I don't know if he's in Times Square or if it's just a busy city, but the lights and everything overpowers the electrical grid and there's a blackout. And that's why everyone can hear the cricket's beautiful song. Oh, at Christmas time. interesting. Yeah. Oh, I kind of dig that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have not seen any adaptations of the Chester and, or no, yeah, Chester and his friends series by George Selden. What it's called? I think so. I think. Wow. On Amazon, a... this was listed as like the Cricket in Times Square, Chester and his friends one or something. <laughs> Chester. And um, his and there's like seven or eight of these books. This one, which was published in 1960, was made into a film in 1973, an animated film by Chuck Jones. With uh, Mel Blanc as Tucker Mouse, of yeah. all people. Yeah. Of um, Looney Tunes fame, both yes, of them. Yes. Um, I thought that spoke for itself, but thank you for clarifying. I'm just making sure not everybody know who Chuck Jones That's is. That's true. That's true. Um, do you isn't know who... the info... Isn't he the InfoWars guy? <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you know who George Selden is, Andrew? Um, well, I've, it's only, I, it's very Selden that I look up this kind of information. I know that he's a novelist who wrote mostly children's fiction, and this is his best-known series. Um, This first book, as you mentioned, came out in 1960, and then he, along with um, uh, Williams, did another six books between 1969 and 1987. Okay. All about these three characters, this cricket, this cat and a mouse i think yes those are it's an, three unli- an unlikely combination of because the cat would eat both of those things I, yeah if there's anything like my cat they do address that in the book which i'll tell you about a little later um we don't need really to talk too much about mr williams we covered him in episode 290 when we talked about charlotte's web um, but he's did like Stuart Little and a whole bunch of stuff. His drawings are beautiful. All the uh, the Little House books. Oh yes. Illustrations yes, 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 yes. And, and he did really detailed like research of the American Midwest. Like he went and walked around. He uh, one of the books is about a house that they make like along the banks of a river, and he walked along that river and found like a a divot in the bank that he thinks was probably the house. Hmm. That's kind um, of cool. Yeah, he wrote, he illustrated tons of books. We talked about him already. I think the other thing you might know him from is that he created a minor controversy among terrible people when his illustrations for The Rabbit's Wedding in 1958 depicted a white rabbit marrying a black rabbit. They're just rabbits. I think the quote that we read in the other episode, I was completely unaware that animals with white fur, such as white polar bears and white dogs and white rabbits, were considered blood relations of white beings. I was only aware that a white horse next to a black horse looks very picturesque. <laughs> so, Good job, Garth. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Selden, born 1929, died 1989, went to Yale, went to Columbia, went to Rome, like you do. Um, there, I couldn't find too much about him aside from these books and aside from a book... He published in 1974 mm-hmm. under the pseudonym Terry Andrews, which is about mm-hmm. the story of is called the story of Harold, 
uh, about a children's book author who's written like a very successful book called The Story of Harold. And then it's about like his sexcapades in downtown East Village culture in Manhattan. I did a little bit more digging, including reading some like Goodreads stuff on this. And yeah, so it's it's assumed to, to be at least like partially autobiographical. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But yeah, it's about a bisexual children's book author. Um, he Now this this character, I believe, does plan to commit suicide. Mm. And it also has like some fairly explicit like sexual themes and it's an adult book yeah it's an adult book yeah it's it's a pretty big departure from the story about like this cricket and this mouse and this cat that are friends (laughs) it's true um there was one one article i read about it though that's like praised it it was in a list of people's like forgotten books or something like books that are out of print or books that you hadn't heard of that authors liked and it they praise it as a depiction of that era of gay culture in Manhattan where people were uh, freely experimenting and kind of trying to live their best lives um, in a way that was very novel at the time. Um, yeah, like reading one of the Goodreads reviews um, pretty high up, it, it talked about how the main character, whose name is Terry, Yeah, I think, yeah, um, how like stereotypical... Mm. He is as a gay person, like very like catty and 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 just all all of those stereotypes that are well worn out now, but I think might have felt a little more, I don't know, realistic or like De- less De- <laughs> less troublesome, yeah. like in nineteen seventy whatever. That's fair. Um, this book, as I said earlier, was published in nineteen sixty. Uh, he says. The inspiration came from, quote, one night I was coming home on the subway and I did hear a cricket chirp in the Times Square subway station. The story formed in my mind within minutes. An author is very thankful for minutes like those, although they happen all too infrequently. Um, It went on to win a Newbery Honor, which is not the actual medal. They call it Newbery Honor when you're like the runner up, when you lose, but you get some credit, uh, which I... Some honor, Yes. Honor. It lost to The Island of Blue Dolphins, which is a book we talked about on episode 186. Go listen to that if you want. All sorts of internal advertising for the rest of our show. If you had asked me whether we had done Island of the Blue Dolphins, I would either have told you no or flipped a coin. I don't. We've done so many of these. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this book. I remember reading it as a little kid. And I didn't remember much about it except the basic character relationships and a few key details. Yeah, um, I, I I associate it with with Christmas because of because that movie is my only my only window really into the universe. So I thought it was kind of seasonally appropriate, even though we are reading our typical horny holidays fair a little later a little later month. this is not an official christmas book but there is a christmas flavored entry in this series if you want to go and find yeah it. yeah well let's take a quick break andrew and then i'll tell you all about this book all right craig you know that there's a big gift giving holiday coming up later this month yeah Festivus? 
Yeah, that's one of them. And there's no better way to get somebody a gift than to make sure it makes a statement about something that they are doing wrong. And so one of our sponsors this week is Quip, the toothbrush people. (laughs) (laughs) They make a electric toothbrush that is a perfect, thoughtful and practical gift with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss and toothpaste all intentionally designed to make good habits simple. The Quip electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30 second pulses to guide your routine. And the Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings so you always use the right amount. That's smart. I have trouble with that when I'm flossing. I, I use, usually get yeah, I use way, way too, too much, much or way too not enough. I feel like I'm a I'm a magician, like pulling out <laughs> like scarves when I'm getting my floss together. So this sounds like a good idea. Yeah. So you you might know that you might already know that Quip is an electric toothbrush that pulses every thirty seconds to mm. let you know when you need to switch the quadrant of your mouth. Yes. I've been using one for. I think literal years now, <laughs> and my teeth are all still there. So, yeah, that's I can think of no good. I can think of no stronger recommendation. Uh, go to getquip.com slash overdue to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan that's a five dollar value for free. Uh, that's your first refill free at getquip.com slash overdue. Getquip.com slash overdue. Brush the milk and cookies out of your teeth, Santa. The other thing that you could get people is stuff for their bed, not just Ooh. stuff for their mouth. Ooh. This holiday season, Andrew, it's time to gift the ones you love with something a little cozier, like the mm-hmm. bedding, loungewear, towels, and more from Brooklinen. Uh, Brooklinen is celebrating their days of gifting with daily promotions on different items, and they are the home of the internet's favorite sheets with over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. What do you think about Brooklyn and sheets, Andrew? I really, I really like mine. We've been sleeping on them for a month or so now, and we are getting good nights of sleep when Henry will let us. Mm. Um, it's not the sheets' fault when we don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking. I feel like kid Andrew would be really upset with adult Andrew for how excited adult Andrew would be to get sheets for Christmas. Yeah, same here. I, I don't <laughs> think I appreciated how good it is to be comfy when I was a kid. Yeah, like unless the sheets had the Power Rangers on them or something, I don't think Kid Andrew would have been interested. But Adult Andrew, way into it. Way into it. Um, And Brooklinen has moved beyond the bedroom to offer essentials for your bathroom, like towels, shower curtains, bath mats, and they even launched ultra soft loungewear that makes you feel like you never left your bed, which sounds just (laughs) wonderful, actually. (laughs) Um, But I like the the sheets that are on my bed, so I trust Brooklinen. Um, if you like softness, comfort, and essentials to help you relax, Brooklinen has it all. The only way to get access to Brooklinen's Days of Gifting event and free shipping is to go to brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. And if you're just hearing this and it's after the holiday season, you can still use the promo code OVERDUE at brooklinen.com to get 10% off and free shipping anytime. Brooklyn and everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Andrew, this book is about a cricket named Chester, and I love him so much. Tell me about this cricket. Chester is great. He is a cricket from the great state of Connecticut, um, and he just loves good-smelling food so much that when some people were picnicking in Connecticut, he was like, mm, what's that smell? Is it liverwurst? I love liverwurst so much. 
let me get in there and get some. And he was stuck in their picnic basket, which they took all the way back to their home in New York City. Mm -hmm. And so then he got out of the picnic basket, onto a subway train, off the subway train, and now he is a cricket that lives in Times Square. That's how the book... I mean, that's sort of how the book starts. Actually, it's about a kid named Mario finding a cricket he becomes friends with. But I wanted to give you Chester's backstory first, because it's important. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's i mean he's gonna get in trouble for jumping the fair in the new york city subway that's they don't like that these days these for days. sure yes um i also wanted to let's do a new segment called neil degrasse tyson what where i <laughs> ruin the book by telling you that a cricket lives for three weeks as an adult wait a second where a cat a cat lives for between two and 16 years and mice live between like two and seven, depending on the species. Okay. And so it's just, it's extremely unlikely that Chester would live long enough to do much of anything or that these three different kinds of animals would be friends I saw in, real a life, thing, in real life. <laughs> I saw a thing that a cricket would live for about a year. Now, maybe not uh, as an full, adult. The full lifespan I am seeing is two to three months as an egg slash larva uh-huh. and then three weeks as an adult. That so sucks. So do we meet Chester as a larva? Oh, no, we don't. He's an adult man cricket that... Ooh, man. <laughs> clock's ticking. <laughs> oh, no. Um, do you know anything else cool about crickets that we should lay out there? No, that's the only thing as I looked up... I just wanted to see how likely it would be for these animals to be friends. Aside mm. from, like, if you could take out the food chain related concerns and it turns out that there's a small window now andrew as i said earlier chester was uh attracted to this picnic basket by liverwurst Mm -hmm. have you ever eaten liverwurst what is liverwurst it is some sort of sliced food product that is made from liver and sometimes veal and it is it is a liver sausage Okay. I have never eaten it in my life. I have brought some slices to eat today here on oh, the no. podcast. Wait, have you ever eaten liver at all, like in any form? I don't know if I've ever eaten liver. Because we did, we ate, we liked chicken livers quite a bit as kids, mm. I think. I went to the grocery store on the way home today and I said, sir, give me a quarter pound of liverwurst. And he... Oh, that's... You just really went for he it. Had huh? to I open, guess you don't want to go up to somebody and be like, what is the smallest <laughs> quantity of liverwurst that you can give me? He had me? to open a new liverwurst because clearly no, <laughs> oh, no one is getting liverwurst. <laughs> so um, I'm going to bite it right now. Okay. That's a face. That's kind of... That's not unlike the face that you made when we both ate Turkish Delight. Except I'm not experiencing this with you. Okay, okay, now you're okay. Now you're far away from the microphone. the The audio medium is not sufficient for picking up just the contortions that you are okay doing right I now. I chewed that for what six or seven seconds. Uh, if it was that long, I'd be surprised. There was a second in there where it tasted great, and the rest <laughs> of it was really confusing. It tasted like an old hot dog. Was it at, when when was the second where it tasted good? Was that the beginning? Was it in the middle somewhere? It was weirdly in the middle. Ooh, I don't oh know no. how I got there. I bet it would be okay with some mustard. I did really just roll it up and shove it into my mouth. Sure, I think you'd have to. But if it smelled like it tastes, you're saying you would not 
hop onto a picnic basket no. and make it all the way to New York City. No, so maybe Chester has a more refined palate than I do. Um, I don't know how that's possible because he cannot have been alive for more than <laughs> a couple of months at this point. It's possible. But now he lives in Times Square with a boy named Mario Bellini who is an adorable boy who helps his parents, Mama and Papa Bellini, run a newsstand. Man, I'm still dealing with the aftertaste of that liverwurst. Um, Wouldn't wouldn't Mama Bellini have like a successful spaghetti sauce line? Hey, listen. I feel like like Mama Bellini is is an Italian stereotype that you would see on like a, a store brand thing of Romano cheese. It's possible. I do think that Selden is trying to do a thing where it's like there may be I don't remember if the Bellinis came from Italy or if they're the next generation. I don't recall, but they feel they have very strong connections to the old country. They they like listening to Italian opera over the radio when like the Met the Metropolitan Opera like broadcasts opera over the radio or whatever. It's very cute. They all like huddle around the radio and like listen to it while they're running their newsstand in the Times Square subway station. So I I am fans. I'm a fan of the Bellinis overall. Um, yeah. How much do the human characters factor into this? Because they I don't recall humans being a big thing at all in the it's a movie, except for you did need humans to be around to listen to the cricket. It's a pretty big thing, actually. Um So Mario finds this cricket. He thinks the cricket is good luck. He wants to keep it. Mama Bellini thinks the cricket is gross and wants it to go away. Papa Bellini's like, man, whatever. Just keep it around and don't don't let it get into any trouble. Um, That's briefly we meet Tucker Mouse and Harry Cat. Um, Chester doesn't have a last name, but it's fine. Uh, I mean... Based on the convention that you've just established, I think Chester Cricket is a safe. But no assumption. one calls him that; they just call him Chester. In the in the cast list for a very merry cricket, it, it is Chester credits Cricket him as Chester Chester C Cricket. <laughs> what is the C? Stand I don't for? know what the C stands for. <laughs> um, they show him around. Tucker is also Tucker R Mouse. Wait, but Harry is just Harry the cat. <laughs> <laughs> This is good. This is great. These animals beg a lot of questions. Like, they know what different states are. Like, at one point, they reference Texas. They obviously know the boundaries between New York and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, they do speak a version of English to each other, I suppose, which is, like, par for the course for, like, animal-based fiction, I understand. Um, though I, I don't know why uh, Tucker Mouse cares about money. Uh, which he cares a lot of, um, or why they respect state boundaries. Like, I don't understand their reverence for U.S. government. Um, Yeah, I don't, I mean, my only guess about Tucker is that he's a mouse, but he dreams of getting into the rat race one day. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. That's why, and that's why he likes money. Yeah, that liverwurst wasn't. a mouthful. Are you going back for more? I just didn't, I wanted to give it another shot. (laughs) wasn't a good idea um because when he becomes friends with tucker and harry he tells the story about how he got lost in this picnic basket because of the liverwurst and tucker mouse is like oh i have some liverwurst and he goes home to his home that is a drain pipe and like pulls out a wrapped up piece of liverwurst in foil 
He's like, here, Cricket, I got you this. And so he, they like give him like bread and candy. Uh, Mario at one point feeds Chester part of a chocolate bar, which is adorable. I would love to feed a cricket a chocolate bar. Like my, if I had a pet cricket, I could just hold it in my hand. Could they metabolize that? In this book, yes. In this book, they can. Okay. Maybe that's why they only live for three weeks. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's what this. That's what the C is for. Is chocolate. It's true. Okay. Chester chocolate cricket. Um, we do get really early on in the book, uh, kind of some good environmental storytelling from Selden about the newsstand. Uh, the space inside was big enough for Mario, but Mama and Papa were cramped when they took when they each took their turn. A shelf ran along one side, and on it were a little secondhand radio, a box of Kleenex for Mama's hay fever, a box of kitchen matches for lighting Papa's pipe, a cash register for money, which there wasn't much of, and an alarm clock for no good reason at all. The cash register had one drawer, which was always open, um, and it just it felt like I was in like a video game where they were trying to tell me about the world by a bunch of things on the floor. And of course, all of these things come back in the story later as Chester interacts with them one by one. Sure. Um, But you asked about like whether or not the story hinges on what Chester does or like what, how necessary are the human characters? Um, Mario's trying to justify keeping this cricket around and he's telling, Mama, that like, oh, you, we could use him to tell the temperature. Um, he's like, have you never heard that? That doesn't seem very efficient, though. You just get a thermometer. Yeah, but like, if you adhere to what is it? I in my notes, Dolbear's law, you can calculate mm-hmm. the temperature by multiplying how many times it it chirps by like fifteen or something, and then add forty, and then you have the temp. You know, math. I am. Maybe that's true, but a thermometer <laughs> is you just look at the number and then you know what the number is. It's just as easier. It sounds like you would. I mean, way way back in the day, we were all telling temperature with crickets. Yes. but we invent then we invented the thermometer. We didn't have to do that anymore. It sounds like you would be good friends with Mama Bellini because she is ragging on Mario. Like, why do we need this cricketer thermometer? It's summer. It's hot. And she's like, How do you even know about crickets so much? And he goes, Jimmy Lebowski told me last summer. And she goes, then give it to the expert, Jimmy Lebowski. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mama I like Mama Bellini a lot. Um, And so in his, like, campaign to uh, tell his mom that he can take care of this cricket, um, he makes a decision that he's going to go down to Chinatown. And he's going to get a cage to keep Chester in. And this is apparently like a practice that people know about. It is a real thing. He's just been keeping him as a free range cricket in their house up to this. Well, no, in the newsstand, he lives in the newsstand. And so he lives even in like a little matchbox. Um, and he keeps him in there. Oh, Oh, up at this point, we've also addressed the fact that the animals don't eat each other. Andrew, um, when we meet Harry the cat, uh, Tucker says something to the effect of, because uh, Chester's like, oh, I thought that cats and mice were enemies. And Tucker says, in the country, maybe, but in New York, we gave up those old habits long ago. 
Whoa, okay, so, so this is a statement on like the the rural urban divide so in America. Cosmopolitan, the East Coast bias. We already know that they're they're really like attuned to state borders, yes. and so it's coastal elite <laughs> cats and mice and crickets living in train stations. Their New York values. Um, so Mario takes his pet cricket down to Chinatown and meets a man named Sai Fong. Uh, and this is a thing I don't love about the book. Um, Sai Fong and another, his friend um, that we meet later in the book, speak in like a really stilted, broken English. Oh, great. Good. Good. Um, great. And there's like a couple beats about like how, like not knowing when to start or stop bowing and stuff. And in I giving Seldon the most credit, it feels like he's trying to do a like meeting different people who live in the same city as you. And like I can I can draw a line between because later in the book, Mario Mario gets a cage from uh Saifong. Saifong puts a cool little bell in it um as like a gift because he likes this cricket and he likes this little boy that came to visit him. Um and then later Mario goes back there, um to like find out what the cricket should eat and Saifong's hanging out with his friend and they spend all night hanging out with this boy and his cricket and they eat like a delicious meal and Mario's like oh my god I've never had food like this before it's so interesting it's you know this is really cool and it feels like Selden is trying to give you an arc of like meeting people who are different than you and coming together over meals and stuff like that but moment to moment there's like really busted speech and it just doesn't i don't know i would if you're sharing this book with a kid you might be prepared to talk about that a little bit yeah i mean i guess guess, yeah it's we don't need to get too far into the weeds on like judging it by the yeah i don't want to do that of its time i guess but let's just like acknowledge that it's probably well-meaning but modern day problematic and then move on yeah I i think that's fair um the 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 reason that Mario ends up going back there is because after he comes back, he's living in the cage and he hates being in the cage because he can't like hop around. Apparently, crickets can hop like three feet. Do, do you know that? Crickets can hop. Uh, here, let me get uh, my friend Mr. DeGrasse Tyson back in here. Uh-huh. Cricket hopping distance. <laughs> I know the difference between a cricket and a grasshopper is their antenna. Um, if you ever need to know that information, um, grasshoppers have short antenna and crickets have much longer antenna. Mm-hmm. Um, and grasshoppers make music with their legs and crickets make music with their wings. Uh, uh, didn't we talk about this in James the Giant Peach, like a leg rubber or whatever yes, it was? Yes, the, le- the leg rubber is gross. Um Cricket jumping distance, yeah. Although it varies by species, field and house crickets can jump about three feet. Whoa, it's roughly equivalent to thirty times their body length. Whoa, it's like ants, where an ant can carry fifty times its own weight, but an ant weighs nothing, and so it's, it's like impressive, expressed as a percentage, but not as an absolute. Correct. Whereas unit. I'm at the gym trying to like pull myself up with half of my body weight. And I'm dying to do it. But mm-hmm. an ant, I guess, could just like rock climb, no problem. 
Mm-hmm. Very tiny rock, though. Uh, so Mario, uh, he does have to go back to Chinatown because um, overnight Chester gets let out of the cage by his buds, Tucker and Harry, and they like party a little bit. And then like Tucker is like into all the money that is left in this open register because like the register is broken and they make like a little bed out of all the money and Chester falls asleep in it. And because he's like not been eating properly, he wakes up having eaten a bunch of the money, like oh, no. not on the $2 bills or whatever. And there's like a minor scandal where they have to replace the money with money that Tucker has been saving in his drain pipe. I don't know why this mouse is hoarding money. The language he uses implies that he is going to spend it on something later. I don't know who he will give the money to. Is he the kind of guy who like stores gold under the floorboards because he doesn't trust banks? Is the kind of, of person we're talking he says, about? This is one mouse who knows the value of a dollar. How? Why? For what? Tucker, this is the this is the thing you're getting hung up on. Is this the cricket who would be dead after three weeks, and this mouse and this cat are friends? And you're like, well, why do they think? Why do they accept that currency exists uh-huh. and means something? So to 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 rectify the money eating problem, they give the newsstand the money that Tucker has been saving with no explanation, obviously, because they can't talk to the humans. Um, and then Mario takes him back down to Chinatown where Siphong and his friend have a very moving evening hearing music played by a cricket. Uh, makes them cry. Like, imagine, Andrew, you owned a small business and okay. a kid came in with a bug and you were, like, staying late with your friend at the at the business to, like, maybe have some food and, like, chillax. And then this kid comes back. He's like, hey, I brought my magic bug back. Can I eat your food? And then have it play music for you. And you're like, cool, 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 tight, tight, tight. This sounds like a normal Friday evening. It does sound like a fun Friday it evening. It really like, I don't does. think it sounds like a normal one. It, but. It's just the the degree to which people take this cricket in stride at parts of this book is really enjoyable. Because it's kind of outlandish. Sure. Um, and so the, the, the visit to Chinatown goes very well. And so Harry the Cat... Tucker Mouse and Chester C. Cricket decide that they're going to have a party in the newsstand overnight. Sounds sweet. It's going to be a good time. And they start listening to the radio. They learn that Chester can basically play. He has perfect pitch. He can play any song that he hears mm-hmm. on the radio. And uh, which is very different from Harry the Cat who starts trying to sing and he's very bad at it. And just the idea of a cat trying to sing and being bad at it is really funny to me. Uh, and they are just having the best time. And somebody bumps into a box of matches. And oh no, what what farcical it is like situation happens it is as a result preposterous. of preposterous. The matches what, like weird Lucy showed the <laughs> shenanigans <laughs> happen as a result of this matchbook thing. The oh my god, the matches like fall out of the matchbox and land how many of them fall out of the matchbox um, like 
had to. He couldn't see where he was going, and he toppled like like twenty of them. He couldn't see where he was going, and he toppled over into the box of kitchen matches. The box flipped over. A shower of matches fell around the shelf and onto the cement floor. There were several yellow bursts and the sharp scratch that a match makes when it's lit. Most of them fell far enough away from the wooden wall so they could burn themselves out without danger. But one match, unluckily, struck right next to a pile of that morning's newspapers. The spurt of flames it sent up lit the whole frayed edge of the papers and quickly spread over the whole bundle. And so then they are now they are dealing with a small fire inside of this locked up newsstand. They have closed their only way out with a pile of magazines. And so they are they are almost gonna die in there, which is kind of dramatic and sad. When do we get to the cricket in Times Square? So he's living is this it? he's living in Times Square. He is okay. he is at a newsstand at the subway station of Times Square. Earlier in the book they have taken him up to like look at Times Square and he finds it a little overwhelming. It's too busy because he's a country cricket. Sure. When when is this story set is it set in 1960 when the book came out i think so i don't i don't believe it is set earlier than that yeah because i i read some i was reading some stuff about times square which i think has a pretty well known and well documented Mm -hmm. history um so the the like 70s and 80s are kind of the nadir of it yes and if you're thinking about it as a as a hive of scum and villainy or whatever that's that's the time period you're probably thinking about but by 1960 people were describing uh here's a quote uh, as early as 1960 42nd street between 7th and 8th Eighth Avenue was described by the New York Times as the worst block in town oh gosh bear in mind that Times Square is named for the New York Times and that even though they you know they sold the the building one Times square like in like 190 something um they'd still occupy a building that is like a block over so they're saying this about their own neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) um here's the description from when they go up there um they were standing at one corner of the times building which is at the south end of times square above the cricket towers that seemed like mountains of light rose up into the night sky even this late the neon signs were still blazing reds blues greens and yellows flashed down on him and the air was full of the roar of traffic and the hum of human beings it was as if Times Square were a kind of shell with colors and noises breaking in great waves inside it. Chester's heart hurt him and he closed his eyes. The sight was too terrible and beautiful for a cricket who up to now had measured high things by the height of his willow tree and sounds by the burble of a running brook. Um, so like the big, it's kind of interesting that he then spends most of the book comfortable in a closed off like newsstand. Mm-hmm. Where he is not overwhelmed by this big bustling metropolis, so you don't get the. I mean, I can I can completely see that as somebody who moved from like rural to small town Ohio to, um, like we moved to to small town New Jersey, but it's the scale is a lot different, yes. and then moved up to Jersey City and lived there for a while. Like it was hard to feel safe like on the street Mm. for a while Mm. just because we didn't i just didn't know what to expect it was just so much more than i'd ever lived around before sure yeah and i'm kind of i'm used to it now but even like going back to ohio for the holidays i realized like how much i miss just like driving on a road that doesn't have that many other people on (laughs) it sure or it's interesting just like having having horizontal space i miss horizontal space so much. oh sure i love the smell of trees a lot 
just like concentrated tree smell. Um, and I, I have spring allergies, so yeah, I you hate have it. trouble finding so much joy <laughs> in the smell of trees or like cut grass or whatever. It is interesting. It smells like it smells like it smells like runny nose for three months. Oh is yeah, what it smells yeah. like. <laughs> I I sometimes get that Chester Cricket feeling though when I go to a city that is bigger than Philly. When I go to certain parts of Manhattan or like downtown Chicago, even when I'm like, this is way more. Active. Just like looking at that bean, just hanging out by the bean, hanging out by the like bean. Um, in the loop, you know, getting a dog, mm-hmm. uh, you, it feels, it's bigger than certain parts of Philly and Philly is really spread out in some ways that actually make it way more like tolerable to live in. So you don't get overwhelmed, I think. Um, mm-hmm. if, but some people like the, the, the bustle of the big apple or whatever, or the windy city or wherever you might be. Um, but I, I totally get that. And it's kind of neat to, for maybe a kid who hadn't been to New York before or something like that. It kind of captures that feeling just from like a bug's perspective, um, sure. which is kind of nice. So they do get saved. There's a guy who um, works usually at the subway station who sm- who like sees the fire and sees this happen. So they burst in and they lose some of their magazine stock, but not too much. And mostly Mama Bellini's just kind of scared and they are a little bit worried about money, but they're probably going to be okay. It sounds like this cricket has personally cost this family hundreds or thousands of dollars at this <laughs> not point. Not thousands. Definitely dozens of dollars in magazines with this fire, for sure. Um, Chester doesn't... Tucker and Harry are like, yo, Chester, we got to beat feet. Like, we set fire to this place. We got to go. And Chester's first reaction is, if the Bellinis find me gone, they'll think I set the fire and ran. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mama Bellini does accuse him of arson to Mario. Like, straight up. is like, this cricket tried to burn this place down. I mean, I don't see how Mama Bellini is wrong on this She's slide. really not. Um, I'm just saying. She has a point. She then kind of at one point just gets really in her feelings and gets kind of upset. And to cheer her up, Chester Cricket plays like her favorite opera song that he had heard on the radio. And then all of the Bellinis are like, yo, this Cricket is magic and can play all sorts of music. Um, I like to think of this is kind of a John Cusack with the boombox sort of moment where he's trying to win over Mama Bellini yes. with the song. It is a little bit of say anything. Um, it is also a little bit of like, uh, hello, my baby, hello, my honey. Now we have a magic cricket. Like, Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. The frog. Yes. Tune frog. Um, and so this guy, Mr. Smedley, who usually comes to the, uh, newsstand to buy like music America or whatever magazine is in this book. Uh, they tell him like, yo, this cricket plays opera and he starts playing some amazing music. And Mr. Smedley writes an op-ed or like he sends a letter to the New York Times about it. Sure. That is like, like you do. to the music editor of the New York Times. And he pens several paragraphs about this like dope cricket that plays magic music. 
And then he says, Enchantedly yours, Horatio P. Smedley. P.S. I also give piano lessons for more information. And then he leaves his address, which is just a boss move. <laughs> Does he think that's going to be published in the paper alongside the rest of the... I think so. The, the beginning <laughs> of the next chapter is, The music editor of the New York Times was quite surprised to get Mr. Smedley's letter, but he believed in the freedom of the press and had it printed on the theatrical and musical page of the paper. That's that how is, newspapers work, that right? That is an extremely expansive view of what freedom of the press if, means. Freedom of the press means that the press is obligated to print anything that it gets. I get I think there's like this is one of the things I do like about this book is stuff like that feels like Seldon's having a lot of fun. Like if next time someone tries to kill a story on me, I'm gonna say freedom of the press. Why are you why are you censoring me? Yeah. I mean that's half of our discourse these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um can't kick Bellini off Twitter. Um so then we enter like the part of the book where Chester has become a musical celebrity and people come to the Times Square subway stop just to hear this beautiful cricket music. Uh, the Bellinis set up two hour long concerts a day, uh, one like before the morning rush and one after the evening rush. And you you work in theater. What kind of a. That seems like a lot. It's a I feel I think it's a span of day issue in particular. If he were union, um, they would definitely have to pay him overtime for how long his day is. Uh, you can do two shows in one day, but they have to be within a certain window. And if they're too close together, you have to feed them in between. Um, but the main thing is he's working like a 10 hour cause he can't like leave. He can't go anywhere else. So he just has to be there in the middle of the day. Um, you gotta pay him on like a special contract for like, you know, you know, young audiences or something like that. Um, but the, the little arc I had not remembered about this book at all was that it just, it becomes a job for him and he starts to not like it as much anymore. And he starts to feel really sad that he just has to like play music on command yeah, I mean, I think that that's familiar to anybody who has made a hobby into a job, I think, is you lose a little bit of what made it fun for you in the first place. Now, the flip side of that is that if you do switch careers at all, then you gradually come to find the joy in the old thing again. Yes, but he doesn't... That's definitely happened for me, like, with respect to giving technology advice sure. and like, fixing, like, actually physically fixing computers and stuff with my hands yeah you do get a lot of joy out of that um i just as i like building things even though i don't do it as often as i used to um yeah yeah i could use a shelf let's talk about yo let's talk about a shelf basement let's talk about you doing a shelf Um, but and like meanwhile like tucker and harry are like being chester's manager they're like egging him on to learn more songs and like do more shows and get better <laughs> and he's like nah i'm just we need tired another, we, need another, we need another album for the it's, holiday season it's every please. rock and roll biopic where like you know the artist is like i just can't go out on tour anymore i don't believe in the music <laughs> like he's really burned <laughs> out and so they decide to help him leave and he wants to go back to his farm in connecticut and they hatch like a little escape plan for him and they sh- they show him what uh what um like trains to take uh but before that we do get this beautiful image which is i think very similar to what you uh remember from very merry cricket 
So he plays his like final concert. He dedicates it to the Bellinis, even though they have no idea because they can't speak the cricket. Ch- Chester the Cricket Rooftop Concert. It really like is. An infamous. <laughs> um, like the music wafts up through the grate in the sidewalk. And then like people walking down Broadway stop and listen. And uh, people start overflowing on the sidewalk, on the street. Traffic came to a standstill. The buses, the cars, men and women walking, everything stopped. And what was strangest of all, no one minded. Just this once, in the very heart of the busiest of cities, everyone was perfectly content not to move and hardly to breathe, and for those few minutes while the song lasted, Times Square was as still as a meadow at evening, with the sun streaming in on the people there, and the wind moving among them as if they were only tall blades of grass. This is very sweet, this book, um, at times. That's... I don't want to say it's frustrating because I don't know how many people this this is going to affect, but this is literally what happens in Very Merry Cricket. <laughs> and bear in mind that Very Merry Cricket was a sequel to a what I understand to be a fairly straightforward adaptation of the of the original book. Yes. Hmm. So this cricket this cricket only got one trick, and it is. To make people stop and contemplate for a moment as they hear a beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, because music's beautiful, man. It can change the world. Um, so then, yeah, they help him leave. And uh, Mario knows that he has left of his own volition because Chester has, uh, I believe he has taken the bell with him. Um, it's, it's something to do with the bell. Either he takes it or he leaves it on purpose. Yeah, the bell's gone, Mario says. And that's how he knows that uh, a thief didn't take it because he would have taken the money in the cash register too. So the cricket sure. takes his little bell with him um, and Tucker and Harry make a plan to maybe visit him later, which is, I guess, how you get to the other books. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's nice. Um, I found a quote of his about the like the animal characters. Selden's? Yeah. Um, on the humanness of the characters. A specific human characteristic, such as acquisitiveness in my Tucker Mouse, can be shown in sharpened, often comical exaggeration. However fantastic the adventures may be, the human truth that the animal characters embody must be clear, real, and accurate. And yeah, they do boil down into like archetypes, like Chester is very sweet and well-meaning, but an artiste who just wants quiet. And like Harry is kind of like a fun-loving guy who just wants to be your pal, and Tucker is a, he, like you said, he's a rat race minded mouse um, who just wants to get ahead and will, you know, store up stuff to, to make sure that he has it. Um, and they're they're a very sweet trio. I really like Mario and his family. Um, I wish the stuff in Chinatown weren't as problematic as it is because it kind of stinks up the middle of the book a little bit. Um, but it was fun to d- hang out with the animal book again. And have and come away with a bunch of questions as to why they know about our world. I do like a good anthropor- anthropomorphic animal book, especially one where most of the animals don't die in it. Yeah, somehow they like your red walls and your water ships down. And- well, and he he is not what he's not doing is like exploring. At least in this book, he's not exploring any of the hierarchies of those animals systems because you only meet one of each it feels very metropolitan and very new york city everybody from different backgrounds right um well then yeah these these animals all move from 
rural places to be in the big city yes. to be where the jobs are <laughs> true uh and they can't find an affordable apartment so they live in a train station um or a sewer yeah that's true he lives in a drain pipe people people can make all kinds of that's where the ninja turtles lived they that. lived in a sewer mm-hmm. except in the turtles too they in new york though yeah they're in new york they're New York? Yeah. Okay, they're New York based? Yes, they are definitely... I don't know if it was New York or a New York-like city. No, I do not believe it's like a Superman situation. I think they the... couldn't. They couldn't get the rights to New York, and so they had to come up with some <laughs> other place. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a book that was fun to revisit. <laughs> it was more fun to read than the liverwurst was to eat. I'm so glad that you, did, you brought us back to eating things on the air and then just silently being disgusted. I made a pact with myself that I wouldn't spit it out. And that if I had spit it out right away, I wouldn't have gotten to that one second where I enjoyed it. So Think about how much liverwurst you already wasted today by making that man open up a package of liverwurst that nobody else is going to no, eat anything He had of. to scan it into a system. He had to like weigh 50 pounds of like, no, it was like $50 worth of liverwurst, which how many pounds that is, I have no idea. He had to like scan it into a system to say, well, I opened this liverwurst. And I took it would it would not have surprised me if he had evaporated into thin air because he was a ghost <laughs> whose soul would only be freed if someone would finally ask for liverwurst. <laughs> like that is... I definitely made sure that no one else was at the counter when I ordered it because I didn't want to like explain <laughs> why I needed a quarter pound of liverwurst. He gave I think he said I don't know what he said to me when he gave me the liverwurst. I think he said happy holidays, but he could have said something judgy about my liverwurst. I don't remember. Even I mean, even happy holidays said the right way could imply a certain judgy. I judginess. think that's what he did. Like, ugh, happy holidays. Yeah, it kind of felt like, well, this is your problem now. Um and uh your problem is emailing us, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, overduepod at gmail.com and can tell us all about your favorite liverwurst sandwich or your favorite stop uh, on the New York City subway. Um, you can hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash overduepod, facebook.com slash overduepod. I'm occasionally trying to share out some of these Garth Williams pictures in there because they're just so sweet. I love when you see the different scale of the animals as the book goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, folks who've been reaching out in the past week uh, include Bree, Kathy, Alex, Holly, James, Babs, Heather, Shira, Amy, Mike, Aster, Dina, Kelly, and many more. Thanks to everybody who is so kind. After I had my wife on the show last week, she did a great job. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is an internet website where we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, I think I put a Spotify link up there. Let me just check real quick. No, I don't have a Spotify link up there, but you can go to Spotify and search Overdue to find the show. Thanks, everybody, telling uh, us that they listen to us on Spotify with those weird Spotify content Yeah, emails. Yeah, they have those those cool like year-end things where they tell you everything you listen to. And if you listen to a lot of podcasts on there. I think I'm most impressed by the company that we yeah, are in that's always when cool. people show us like their five most played for the year. So that's always that's a lot of fun. Um, also on the website, we also also on the website we have a new listener page which we are going to update here shortly with episodes we think are good introductions to the show. If you don't just want to find a book that you like and jump in that way, um, and our Patreon page is Patreon.com/slash/OverduePod. Uh, join us there and if you donate at the ten dollar a month level or above you get early access to our long form 
sort of long read shows right now is Hellboys, which is a journey through Dante's Divine Comedy. But we've done the Odyssey and we've got some plans for the next one, too, that I think is going to be fun. So, yeah. What are you reading next week, Andrew? I'm going to be reading The Air Affair by Jasper Ford. And this is a title that you could really easily mispronounce and bother people. You could call it The Ire Affair. You could call him Jasper Ford. Yeah. But I think it's what you said the first time. I think it is. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast. Do you ever see Blue Toes the Christmas Elf? I've never seen Blue Toes the Christmas Elf. I think on like DVD copies of Very Merry Cricket, it it shares space with Blue Toes the Christmas Elf, which is, <laughs> as far as I can remember, about an elf who <laughs> proves what a dedicated elf he is by like sitting out in the cold, okay, like overnight until his feet turn blue. Sure. And then he has blue toes. And so it's all about an elf who gets like really bad frostbite. <laughs> and it's it's an inspiring Christmas story. Uh, before we start this ads, I have to go get something for, for later in the podcast. Oh, no.